wearing jeans and a, what you call it, a ski parker and white sneakers and a black cap with a big peak. Man, he was moving fast. Almost knocked me down. Did he have a gun? I didn't see no gun. This is Honey Blair, the Channel 4 reporter said, coming to you from outside King Memorial in Diamondback. She slit her throat with the forefinger of her left hand and said, That's it, boys, and turned to her crew chief. Get him to sign a release, will you? She said. I'm heading inside. This was and is and always will be the big bad city. That will never change, Ollie thought. Never. And never was it badder than during the springtime. Flowers were blooming everywhere, even in the 88th precinct, which, by the way, was no rose garden. Detective first grade Oliver Wendell Weeks had good reason to be smiling on this bright April morning. He had just finished his book. Not finished reading it, mind you, but finished writing it. He was still rereading the last chapter, which was back at the apartment. He didn't think it would need any more work, but the last chapter was often the most important one, he had learned, and he wanted to make sure it was just right. He was now transporting the positively perfect portion of the book to a copying shop not far from the 8-8. He wondered if the sun was shining and the flowers were blooming next door in the 87th precinct. He wondered if flowers bloomed all over the world when a person finished his first work of fiction. Now that he was a bona fide writer in his own mind, Ali could ponder such deep imponderables. His book, which was titled Report to the Commissioner, was securely nestled in a dispatch case that rested on the back seat of the car Ollie drove hither and yon around this fair city. One of the perks of being a minion of the law. Ah, yes. The windows of the Chevy sedan were open wide to the breezes that flowed from river to river. It was 10.30 on a lovely sunlit Monday morning. Ollie had signed in at 7.50 had taken care of some odds and ends bullshit on his desk, and was now on his way to the copying shop on Culver Avenue, not four blocks from the station house. So far, the day... Ten forty. Ten forty. The dash radio. Rapid mobilization. King Memorial, St. Sebastian, and South 30th. Man with a gun. Ten forty. Ten forty. King Memorial. Ollie hit the hammer. He parked illegally at the curb outside the Martin Luther King Memorial Hall, flipped down the visor on the driver's side to show the card announcing police department authorization, locked the car, flashed a blue and gold tin at a uniformed grunt who was already approaching with a scowl and an attitude, said, Wakes, 88 Squad, and barged right past him and the roaming television teams that were already thrusting microphones at anyone within range. He kept using his detective shield like a real warrior's shield, holding it up to any barbarian who rose in his path, striding through the glass doors at the front of the building, and then into the marble entrance lobby, and then into the auditorium itself, where a handful of brass were already on the scene. Had to be something important went down here. Well, well, if it isn't the large man, a voice said. Once upon a time... Ollie's sister Isabel had referred to him as large, which he knew was a euphonium for obese. He had not taken it kindly. 
In fact, he had not bought her a birthday present that year. Ollie knew that there were colleagues in this city who called him Fat Ollie, but he took it as a measure of respect that they never called him this to his face. Large man came close, though. He was ready to take serious offense when he recognized Detectives Monahan and Monroe of the Homicide Division, looking like somewhat stout penguins themselves. So someone had been aced. Big deal. Here in the 8-8, it sometimes felt like someone got murdered every ten seconds. Monahan was the one who'd called him the large man. Monroe was standing beside him, grinning as if in agreement. A pair of bookends in black, the color of death, the unofficial color of homicide. The two jackasses were the Tweedledum and Tweedledee of law enforcement. Ali wanted to punch them both in the mouth. Who got it? he asked. Lester Henderson. You kidding me? Would we kid a master detective? Monahan said. A super sleuth? Monroe said, still grinning. Stick it up your ass, Ollie explained. Anybody else from the 8-8 here? You're the first. Then that puts me in charge, Ollie said. In this city, the appearance of homicide detectives at the scene of any murder was mandatory if not necessary. Presumably they were here in an advisory and supervisory capacity, which meant they only got in the way of the precinct detectives who caught the squeal. Since Ollie was the so-called first man up, the case was his. All he had to do was file his reports in triplicate with homicide and then go his merry way. The dead man lay on his back in a disorganized heap alongside a podium draped with red, white, and blue bunting. A sign above the podium read, Lester means law. The dead man was wearing blue jeans, brown loafers without socks, and a pink crewneck cotton sweater. The front of the sweater was blotted with blood. So what happened? Ollie asked. He got shot from the wings, Monroe said. They were setting up for the big rally tonight. Who was setting up? His people. All these people here? All these people. Too many people, Ollie said. What rally? Big fundraiser, putting up lights, American flags, cameras, button the whole schmear. So? So somebody fired half a dozen shots from the wings there. Is that an accurate count, or are you guessing? That's what his aide told us. Five, six shots, something like that. His aide? Who's that? Guy with all those reporters over there. Who let them in? They were already here when we responded, Monroe said. What's the aide's name? Alan Pierce. The corpse lay in angular disarray, surrounded now by the mobile lab techs and the medical examiner, who was kneeling beside the dead man and delicately lifting his pink cotton sweater. Not fifteen feet from this concerned knot of professionals, a man wearing blue jeans similar to the dead man's and a blue denim shirt stood at the center of a moving mass of reporters, wielding pencils and pads, microphones and flash cameras. A tall, slender man, who looked as if he jogged and swam and lifted weights and watched his calories, all the things Ollie considered a waste of time. Pierce appeared pale and stunned, but nonetheless in control of the situation. Like a bunch of third graders waving their hands for a bathroom pass, the reporters swarmed around him. Yes, honey, 
Pierce said. And a cute little blonde with a short skirt showing plenty of leg and thigh thrust a microphone in Pierce's face. Ollie recognized her as Honey Blair, the roving reporter for the 11 o'clock news. Can you tell us if it's true that Mr. Henderson had definitely decided to run for the mayor's office? She asked. I did not have a chance to discuss that with him before... before this happened, Pierce said. I can say that we met with Governor Carson's people this weekend, and that was the main reason we flew upstate. We've heard rumors that you yourself have your eye on City Hall, Honey said. Is that so? This is the first I'm hearing of it, Pierce said. Me too, Ollie thought. But that's very interesting, Mr. Pierce. Honey would not let it go. Well, had you planned on running for deputy mayor? assuming Mr. Henderson ran for mayor. He and I never discussed that. Yes, David. A man Ollie had seen a few times here and there around City Hall shoved a microphone at Pierce. Sir, he said, can you tell us where you were when Mr. Henderson... That's it. Thank you very much, Ollie said, and strolled into the crowd, flashing his shield and signaling to one of the blues to get this mob out of here. This is all under control here. Let's go home, okay? Grumbling, the reporters allowed themselves to be herded off stage. Ollie showed Pierce his shield. Detective Weeks, he said. 88th Squad. Sorry to interrupt the conference, sir, but I'd rather you told us what you saw and heard. Yes, of course, Pierce said. You were here when Mr. Henderson got shot, is that it? I was standing right alongside him. Did you see the shooter? No, I did not. You told the other detectives the shots came from the wings. That's what it seemed like, yes. But you didn't see the shooter. No, I did not. Guy fired five, six shots. You didn't see him. No. How come? I ducked when I heard the first shot. I would have done the same thing, Ollie said understandingly. How about the second shot? Lester was falling. I tried to catch him. I wasn't looking into the wings. And all the other shots? I was kneeling over Lester. I heard someone running off, but I didn't see anything. There was a lot of confusion, you know. Were you planning to run for deputy mayor? I wasn't asked to do so. I was only Lester's aide. What does that mean, anyway? Ollie asked. Being an aide. Like his right-hand man, Pierce said. So you don't have any political aspirations, is that correct? I didn't say that. Then you do. I wouldn't be in politics if I didn't have political aspirations. Excuse me, Alan, a voice said. Ollie turned to see a slight and narrow, precise little man wearing a blue blazer, a red tie, a white shirt, and gray slacks. Ever since the terrorist bombing at Clarendon Hall... Everybody in this city dressed like an American flag. Ollie figured half of them were faking it. We're having a conversation here, he said. I'm sorry, sir, but I wanted to ask... You know this man? Ollie asked Pierce. Yes, he's our press rep, Josh Coogan. Excuse me, Alan, Coogan said. But I was wondering if I should get back to headquarters. I know there'll be hundreds of calls. No, this is a crime scene, Ollie said. Stick around. Coogan looked flustered for a moment. He was maybe twenty-five years old, but he suddenly looked like a high school kid, 
who had got called on while he was trying to catch a nap. Were you in the hall when all this happened, Mr. Coogan? Yes, I was. Where in the hall? In the balcony. What were you doing up there? Listening to sound checks. While you were listening to these sound checks, did you happen to hear the sound of a gun going off? Yes. In the balcony? No. Then where? From somewhere down below. Where down below? The stage. Which side of the stage? I couldn't tell. Was anyone with you up there in the balcony? No, I was alone. Incidentally, Mr. Pierce, Ollie said, turning to him, did I hear you tell those reporters you went upstate with Mr. Henderson? Yes, I did. Where upstate? The Capitol. When? We flew up together on Saturday morning. I'm his aide. I was his aide, he said, correcting himself. Did you fly back together, too? No, I left on Sunday morning. Caught a 7 a.m. plane. So we spent all day Sunday up there alone, is that it? Yes, Pierce said. Alone. You the detective in charge here? The Emmy asked. I am, Ollie said. Your cause of death is gunshot wounds to the chest. Big revelation, Ollie thought. You can move out whenever you like. We may find some surprises at the morgue, but I doubt it. Good luck. Monahan was walking over with a man wearing a red bandana tied across his forehead and bib overall showing naked muscular arms. Weeks, this is Charles Mastroianni, man in charge of decorating the hall here. You might want to talk to him. No relation to Marcello, Mastroianni promptly told Ollie which was a total waste since Ollie didn't know who the hell he was talking about. My company's called Festive Inc., he said. What we do is we supply everything you need for a special occasion. I'm not talking about a wedding or a bar mitzvah. Festive operates on a much larger scale. Dressing the stage here at King Memorial is a good example. We supplied the bunting, the balloons, the banners, the audio equipment, the lighting, everything. We dressed the hall and wired it, made it user-friendly and user-ready. All the councilmen had to do was step up to the podium and speak. All the councilmen had to do, Ollie thought, was step up to the podium and get shot. All these people who were on stage with you when he got killed, Ollie said, were they regulars? What do you mean, regulars? Have you worked with them before? Oh, sure, all the time. All of them reliable? Oh, sure. None of them strangers to you, is that right? What I'm driving at, would any of these guys have come in here with a...